I want to just uh, talk to you tonight about uh, what I call the great obedience. That particular area in our lives, it is uh, head and shoulders above every other area that you could possibly talk about or teach about. And this is in the context of understanding that the just, of course, the Bible said, shall what? Well, what? The just will live by faith. Four times in the Bible it tells us, commands us, that we ought to live by faith. And that means not just go to church by faith or do ministry by faith, but live by faith. And we've understood now that, that faith has very specific principles that when you execute these, it actually produces in your life. We get saved that way. Aren't you glad you're saved on your way to heaven? And it involves, uh, first of all, hearing. Say hearing. hearing. Then believing. believing. No matter what you're told, believing is always a choice. Every day of your life, you're believing, you're choosing to believe things. Well, when it comes to faith, you're choosing to believe what the Word says instead of your senses or your circumstances or what people taught you or old dead man's theology. You know, you got a hold of something on the Internet or on YouTube, what uh, Dr. Barthi calls spew tube. <laughs> and uh, I think it's Bill Barger that called Facebook to Facebook. Yeah. The bottom line is, uh, if you're not careful, you'll just ingest enough poison to destroy what God is trying to do in your life. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Not opinion, not man's agenda, amen? Not one religion attacking another one. Are you here tonight? But faith comes by hearing. And if you feast on that stuff, what's going to happen is, you're going to diminish in your faith life, and ultimately it's going to produce less than what God had designed for you in the first place. So we, we hear, but then we have to choose to believe. It's a choice. And then we have to say, we have to line up with what God says. Our confession must be consistent with what the Lord has said. All confess means is to say the same thing about, and that's how you got saved. Uh, people can say all they want to about this old confession thing, and blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. But the bottom line is, when you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and said with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. A miracle took place. Yes. Say it with me. A miracle took place. Yes. We didn't write the rules. We didn't come up with the principles. God revealed these principles to us. And the greatest miracle you're ever going to have in your entire life is the new birth. Amen. Say it with me. The greatest miracle. And how many like miracles and signs and wonders? You want to see God do more and more of this, but the greatest one you'll ever experience is the new birth. So, you know, if you're, if you're born again, say, I am born again. You should be very, very happy and joyful every day of your life because a miracle has taken place. And how did that happen? Because you actually lined yourself up with the principles of faith. You believed in your heart and you said with your mouth, and confession, the Bible says, was made unto salvation. A miracle took place. Do you know that at that moment in time, God wiped away your sin. He expunged your record. He wrote your name in the land's book of life. And now he calls you friend. Yes. All that took place and so much more because you believed and you said. So when somebody tries to talk you out of the things of God and the operation of faith, you say, you know what? No, it's too late. I've already experienced the miracle of the new birth. Amen. Be like Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. So you, you, you believe and then you say, and this last principle, of course, is really critical, you do. And the reason it's critical is we only do the things we really believe. I don't care what it is. In the natural, that's true. You know, there was a great football coach named John Madden, and of course he was a broadcaster for years, and they made a video game based on his expertise. And you know what? He would not step foot on an airplane. 
he was terrified of them. So he would have to arrange his travel by, by vehicle or by train to get from city to city to do the broadcast for, for the NFL. Uh, he believed that at one point in time he was going to crash. Why would he do that? That's what he believed. And you see how this, his behavior was dictated by what he believed. Now, should you walk in fear? No, but that's just a natural example. Every one of you came in here tonight and you plopped down on these beautiful seats. And you know, after 20 years, they look pretty good, don't they? <laughs> in pretty good shape. The frames are holding up. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, but you believed that when you took the action of sitting down, the chair was going to hold you up. In fact, you believed it so much, you didn't give it another thought. Boy, if we could just be like that with God's word. Amen. Not even give it a second thought. You said it. I believe it. You know, that's the end of it. So the do is incredibly important. Turn to somebody and tell them the miracle, the miracle. Is, in the is in the dew. You know, Peter didn't get to walk on water until he took the step of climbing out of the boat. The man with the withered hand didn't enjoy the new and the freshness of a totally healed, restored, you know, hands and, and, and hand and digit until he stretched out his hand. The lepers didn't get restored and healed until they turned to go show themselves to the priests. You see, it's all in the dew. Say it's in the dew. But my point is there's, there's one dew that's bigger than all of them combined. But if you keep this one due, it's going to absolutely set you up to be consistent with all these other dictates that we live by, all these other principles that we live by. And Jesus understood this, of course. He's the revelator of this particular principle. So I want to just start with um, reminding you from Matthew 22, if you want to go there. Matthew 22. When you find Matthew 22, give me a good amen tonight so I'll know we're all on the same page and we're ready to roll. This from uh, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, of course they were trying to trap him. Uh, at least one Pharisee was not done trying to do this. The Pharisees got together and one of them an expert in the law. Say expert. expert. You know, you can be an expert in something and still not have the heart of God. The expert in the law tested him with this question. How arrogant do you have to be? Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you notice that you didn't hear the theme from Jeopardy go while he was trying to figure out an answer. <laughs> he was on active, ready here to reveal to us the answer to this question. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the translations put, of course, your strength, your sustenance, your physical being, all that you have. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now what do we have? How many are familiar with the Ten Commandments? How many were traditionally confirmed maybe in an Episcopalian church, Lutheran church, Catholic church, raise your hand, you went through some kind of catechism with it? That's all? A bunch of heathens growing up, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, some of us were, were catechized before we could actually take uh, a First Communion, you know, and it was part of the discipleship of what happened in, in the Lutheran Church. And so we were taught these, and uh, we had a wise enough pastor to teach us not just what not to do, but he would turn them in a positive and say, this is what you do to actually live a life he's actually expecting. So 
um, you know, Moses comes down. He's not away from the Lord that long. How, how, I mean, from the people. How, how, how long was he away from the people when he went up and met with the Lord? Wasn't that long, was it? But when he got back down there, what did he find? I'm coming down here with just Ten Commandments, and y'all just can't behave while I'm away. <laughs> and they threw all this, you know, gold and whatever inside the pot, and, and Aaron's excuse was, look what popped out. This golden calf just, just popped out. Um, no, that's not what happened at all. You have to put, uh, you know, and it's the same thing today. Uh, idolatry takes effort. It takes intentionality. Idolatry does not happen by accident. Not then and not in our lives right now. If there's some kind of idolatry in your life, it's because, what, you have directed your life to go in that path. So that's another sermon for another day. But uh, the Holy Ghost threw that out there. So if it's you, amen, just repent. Amen. Idols come in all shapes and sizes. and Amen. Um, so he, uh, he comes down with 10, and we know, uh, you know from the teachings of the scribes and, and the rabbis and the theologians that uh, those 10 you know, turned into a lot more commands, 613 to be exact. If you go to the New Testament, you can add another 1,050 commands. So we went from 10 to 613, Plus 10, uh, 1,050, which they say you can put into about 800 categories or headings. But I mean, that's a lot of things to remember. Yeah. And here comes Jesus, yeah. an expert in the 613. Mm-hmm. Wants to know which of the 613 <laughs> is the greatest. Um, and he responds with very simple principle, love God and love others. Say it with me. Love God God. and love others. You want to define Christianity? Define it by the one who said the greatest commandment involved loving God and loving others. And notice this, that uh, all the law, say all the law, all the the prophets, all the the promises hang or depend on these two commandments. It also means are fulfilled by these two commandments. So when you are walking in love with God and you are loving people, you're keeping the 10. You're keeping the 613. You're keeping the 1,050. And what you focus on is, is this great commandment or this great obedience of maintaining your love no matter what the cost, no matter what you go through. Now that said, if you're the devil, what are you going to do? You're going to spend all the time you can every waking moment trying to get every Christian he can out of love. Now watch this. If all the law, the prophets, and the promises hang on these two commandments, and the fulfillment of them is actually taking place when you obey the love walk, love God, love others, then you violate all the commands by stepping out of love. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you can almost hear those wheels turning tonight. <laughs> Congratulations, you just violated the 10, the 613, and 1,050 by stepping out of love. 
That's how important this actually is. And why the devil is tireless in trying to get people to take the bait and come out of love. There are some real practical reasons not to come out of love. I just want to set the table for you in the context tonight. The Lord has done us a great favor by telling us that this is what the walk with God is. Say it would be loving God and loving people. And that means loving God and loving people as God has loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. We wouldn't have a reference point. We wouldn't know what that's all about if He didn't do that for us. We've told you about this, and this is something I heard way back in Chattanooga years ago when Brother Copeland was talking about love and, and covenant. Uh, he had a vision of a golden curtain rod representing the love walk of the believer. Everybody say a golden curtain rod. And he said all these promises and all these great things that God has for us, all these benefits are hanging on that curtain rod. Now, what's easier to do? Just pluck them off one by one or just knock the whole thing down? All you have to do is knock down that curtain rod and every good thing God has for you is compromised as a result of it. Now, is that consistent with Matthew 22? Yes. It absolutely is. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So it's really, really important for you, especially if you're, uh, you know, want to be victorious in these last days, uh, to pay attention to that golden curtain rod in your own life. And don't you let the devil knock it down. And don't take the bait. Bitterness, unforgiveness, amen. Being ugly with people, coming out of love, it knocks down your curtain rod. See it from the devil's perspective. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to put you into defeat as a whole. You may just think that's just an interpersonal issue with somebody. I'm telling you, that's the devil's bait trying to get you to knock down your own rod. And he sits back and laughs. He throws fire on conflict between people. He throws, you know, gasoline on it, you know, and he says, oh, this will be fun to watch. And then we take the bait time and time again. He's already lost. His golden curtain rod was knocked down a long time ago, and it's never going to be put back again. He wants you to follow him. Amen. Now, you may not end up in hell like him, but you're not going to have days of heaven on earth like God designed if you spend half your life with the golden curtain rod knocked down. Amen. How many even this week have had an opportunity to get into a fence with somebody or something? Amen. No, when you're, when you're a pastor, for example, and you speak a lot, it happens a lot. <laughs> Amen. If I say right, there's somebody who wants to believe it's left. If I say up, they'll say it's down. Amen. <laughs> a pastor friend of mine said, I can't win over this COVID thing. I said, what are you talking about? Well, if I say mask, people that don't like masks get mad. If I say don't mask, the people like masks get mad. And all over the country, I have pastors that are you know, confused about, about what to do. Can you just stop judging one another and leave people alone? Yeah. I say, can you just leave people alone yeah. and let them and their God make decisions based on what they feel is best and respect them? Yes. Amen. Amen. If you're a master, don't attack the, the non-maskers. Right. If you're a non-masker, don't attack the maskers. If you're a vaxxer, don't attack those that don't want it. If you are an anti-vaxxer, then don't attack people who do receive it. it. Where is the love in all this nonsense? It's bad enough it was in the world or in Washington, D.C. It should never have been in the house of God in the first place. And that's just one manifestation of that devil. He'll take any issue and try to divide people with it. Amen. we got to step back and look at this thing from the perspective of the Word of God instead of natural things. In other words, 
None of it's worth it. None of it. None of it is worth what God has planned for you. Come on, say it with you. Nothing's worth it. We need to choose things like the anointing and the benefits of God over the desire, you know, to be right. Amen. The golden curtain rod, when you knock it down, you knock down everything that hangs on it, and everything good hangs on that curtain rod. You need deliverance? It's on that rod. You need healing? It's on that rod. You need direction? It's on that rod. You need wisdom? It's on that rod. You need finances? It's on that rod. You need provisions? It's on that rod. You need a house? It's on that rod. You need a car? It's on that rod. You need to know a job? You need a job? It's on that. It's all on the, on the rod. Everything. And it all depends on what? On love. Folks, somebody and tell them, love God. Love people. You can come out a lot of things as a Christian. Don't come out of love. Even if you think you're right. Can I give you a tip here? If you're right, that is not a license to come out of love. It's a greater responsibility to demonstrate love. And how many times have you seen people, I'm right, so now I can do it? No, you can't. Amen. You could be right and be absolutely dispositionally wrong. You tell me which is worse. Watch this. You can be technically wrong on an issue and maintain your curtain, your curtain rod. You can be dispositionally wrong and knock it down. These are some of the finest stares I've ever received. Everybody say, love God. Love people. 1 John 5, 2 and 3 puts it this way. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands and His commands are not burdensome. So if we're loving God, we're going to keep for sure the greatest command, aren't we? We're going to love Him and love others. We've overcomplicated this thing and we found ourselves in theological weeds, you know, over and over again when He just made it simple. Every day, get up and say, you know, I'm going to love God today. And I'm going to love people. Amen. Amen. And the devil's going to try to attack you on both fronts. But if you make up your mind before you ever walk out of the house, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love people, and that's the end of it. You'll be ready for whatever assignment comes your way. And guess what? They will. Because some people will try to uh, offend you, and they'll do it by accident. Other people have a Ph.D. in offending people. (laughs) I mean, they're professionals. And they'll come at you. They enjoy it. They enjoy getting a rise out of people. They enjoy getting people into offense. And that's their, that's their life's goal. Well, you know, that's them. See, what happens in your life is not based on what they do. A piece of brilliant wisdom from Brother Puckett, who pastor 55 years in Mayfield. 47, something like that. It's a long time over there. He may say it's a long time. The average pastor stays three to five years. That's a long time. Amen? And if you said it once, you said it a thousand times, but he said it to me several times. As a pastor, he said, remember this, it's not what happens that does all the damage, it's how people react to it that does all the damage. And he had a member that was just furious with another member. Well, you need to do something about this. You go over there and take care of this. You're the pastor. You should, well, first of all, I don't think you should be talking to Brother Puckett that way, you know. <laughs> you know, but some people just, you know, you know, do that kind of thing, I guess, but... Uh, <laughs> 
He said, you tell you something like this. And he said, you know what? Do you trust me? I'm your pastor. Will you let me handle it? And he goes, yeah, but you know, you need to do something about this. This is not right. That person did this wrong. You should take care of this. Yeah, but would you trust me to take care of this? Yeah, this went on for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, he said. And then finally, he said, would you trust me as your pastor to take care of this? And the guy begrudgingly said, yes. And they prayed and he walked out. And I was, by then, I was on the edge of my seat wanting to know what he did. And I said, Brother Puckett, what'd you do? He said, absolutely nothing. I did exactly what the Lord told me to do to handle that thing. He never told the guy, I'm going to do what you want me to do. You see the difference? Um, In other words, he wasn't going to join in the strife that somebody else so willingly went into. Amen? And the opportunities are out there. Was it the Allstate commercial that used to say? They're out there. And some of them are not just out there. They're in the house of God as well. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain. These three abide. Faith, hope, and, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Is love. So are we faith church? Yeah. Do we believe in hope? Uh, hello, Hope Harbor. I guess we do. <laughs> we don't name a church with hope in it if we don't care about it. Obviously, an inner image of an eager expectation, amen, a horizon, something to look forward to, a dream in your heart that God has given. Yes, amen, faith is being sure of what we hope for. We're certainly faith people and hope people, but, you know, we ought to be more than that known for being a church of love. Amen, say it with me, the church that love built. Now, that starts with us, and it starts one person at a time, one interaction at a time. And uh, you can't do that. You can't be the kind of Christian if you can't even do this, you know, where, you're, where your home is involved, where your workplace is involved, people come across every single day. You've got to make up your mind that whatever everybody else is, you know, is doing, you're going to be a faith person, you're going to be a hope person, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. And you'd be amazed how many people will have some kind of, you know, alternative view of something in the faith realm or in the hope realm, and they'll sacrifice their love to make their point. Bad trade-off. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about all the law and the prophets hang on faith. No, it Is it important? Yes. Yes. We know through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. So it's, per- it's absolutely important. Is hope important? Yes. yes, it is. Hope to keep you on track. But it does say that on this law of love hang, yeah. right, all the law and all the prophets. So uh, we... We want to be faith people. We want to be hope people. But dear God, if we're anything, Jesus didn't say the greatest command is what? Is it the duty of man to believe? Yes. It is the command of God to believe. But did he say that faith was the greatest command? No. Did he say hope was the greatest command? No. He said love is. Say it would be love people. Love God. John 13, if you want to turn over there. Hallelujah. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. If you're hearing that for the first time as a disciple because you're focused on the 613, it would have been revolutionary. A new command I give you, love one another 
as I have loved you. Now, you notice John 13 is in the context of Jesus doing what? Washing the feet of his disciples. Uh, the humility there, the servant attitude there. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. How many know it's nice if people can actually recognize that we're disciples? They won't do that unless there is love. And notice, it's not loving the world that's the issue here. Do you, do you get to know people more in the world in general, or do you get to know people more in the, in the church generally? Where do you have the most opportunity to see humanity? You're going to always see it in the world. And you're used to that. In fact, you might even make excuses for it. But when you see it in the church, shocking. As if people in the church are supposed to be unhuman. But what are you going to see in the church? Humanity. And that's not going to stop until he what? Until he perfects this thing in the end times. You and I are, are stuck with humanity. And the mind I point out, you're stuck with your humanity. So what are you going to see in the church? You're going to see humanity. And is humanity perfect or imperfect? So what's the only choice you have? Love, even when you see their humanity, or not walk in love. But that's a decision, isn't it? In other words, you're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's just a marvel to me at this point in the body of Christ where we're supposed to be as an American church that people still don't get this. They walk into the doors and expect that everything's going to be perfect all the time. Everybody's going to be perfect. All the teachers are going to be perfect. All the musicians are going to be perfect. All the pastors are going to be perfect. perfect. And when they're not and you see a glimpse of humanity, people take that as a license to step out of love. Listen to me. Someone else's humanity is not a license for you to step out of love. It's actually a mandate for you to practice your love. Yes. 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 I'm just saying, in the church, you get lots of practice. <laughs> just like the rest of the world. Amen. The new commandment, the one commandment to rule them all. Say, it, love God. <laughs> and love each other. Come on, say, it. one commandment. To rule them all. Isn't that what it is? I'm sorry, but it's not a ring. It's a decision of the heart. And, uh, you know, we always teach and believe you'll rise or fall to the level of the confession of your mouth, but the greatest thing you'll rise or fall to is the level of your love. How healthy is that at any given point in time, you know, in your life? But notice this, by your love, people will know you're my disciples. Notice what he didn't say. Not by your denomination. You'll know that they're my, you're my disciples. Not by our worship style. I mean, you know, there are lots of diverse worship styles in the body of Christ. 
even on you know so-called churches that are non-denominational or spirit-filled or charismatic, whatever it is, you have a whole host of new paradigm churches who want nothing to do with the Holy Ghost, but they love spirit-filled worship. They love what the spirit-filled ministries are cranking out, from Hillsong to Bethel, you name it. They love that stuff, but there's a limit as far as they will go. And guess what? That's who the transforming power is in the church, not the music. The music doesn't transform. It's the Holy Ghost that transforms. That's why you can have a bunch of people with, you know, new paradigm worship and nobody changing. Why? Because you cannot duct tape the Holy Ghost and throw them in the back door and think that you can have a style associated with the Holy Ghost Church without actually welcoming the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's the one teaching, but he's also the one transforming you. If you have been transformed, it's because he has ministered to you at some point in time of your life and continues to. When you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, it was the ministry of the Holy Ghost that invaded your life. Amen. And he's the one that talks to us tonight. Jesus, what? Went back to the throne and sent the Holy Ghost. The transforming force is the Holy Ghost. We don't have him. We don't have transformation. And uh, if you look at the latest statistics about the de-Christian, you know, de-Christianization of this, of this country, uh, that we will be a minority religion by 2045, what does that tell you about all our new efforts and new paradigm works and the latest thing and the greatest thing? It tells you that the transformational power is not resident in what we are calling new paradigm church. Amen. In other words, some of these old Pentecostals had it right. Amen. You may not like all the style there or the culture of it. What you want to do is be innovative but not kick the Holy Ghost out. Amen. And can I help you out here? Just because somebody raises his hand in the church does not mean the Spirit of God is welcome there. Jesus. Say it with me. He's welcome here. <laughs> Come on, say, He is welcome here. And say, He is welcome here. Whatever He wants to do. Amen? Say it. He's large and in charge. And that doesn't mean make stuff up. Well, if you're going to be a Holy Ghost church, then you have to make sure there's a show. This isn't Barnum and Bailey. We want the real deal when it's the real deal. Amen. It's not by our church programs. You'll know we are Christians by our church programs. Not by our building. We first put this building up. It was just, it was just metal on the outside. Uh, people that I knew laughed at it as they went by and they said, oh, look, it's a huge feed barn. <laughs> they were right. It is a feed barn. That's right. Amen. <laughs> um, we're, not, uh, we're not known by our popularity. People will not know we are Christians by our popularity. According to the old song, they'll know we are Christians by... By our what? By our love. And this is shocking to you, but they will not know you're a Christian by your doctrine. You may think 100% of your doctrine is correct. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out that's not true. There's going to be a big, huge, huge amphitheater seating hundreds of thousands of people at a time. It's going to be Correction Theology 101. (laughs) 
So if you're going to make complete, you know, agreement and doctrine, the basis of whether you love somebody or even worse yet, separate yourself from somebody because you have a doctrinal difference, God help you. You use doctrine as an excuse to step out of love. You swallowed a camel while straining at a net. The greatest command, the great obedience, is not fidelity to your doctrine, but to what? But to the one that, that died for you, to walking in love towards him and loving other people. Say it. They'll not know I'm a Christian by my doctrine. And, you know, I, this is a day and age where, where everybody has an idea, everybody has an opinion. And if you don't agree with us 100% on doctrine, that makes you a heretic. Or worse yet, a cult. Amen? And uh, several times in the past couple of weeks, in several instances, I found myself explaining the definition of a cult, and the definition of heresy, as well as the definition of orthodoxy. Now, there are a lot of things that you should listen to as, as teachings going forth, but you shouldn't leave here tonight unless you understand what a cult is, what, what orthodoxy is, and what heresy is. And if you find yourself looking at somebody who has a difference of opinion on a, on a theological matter, and you find yourself talking in terms of heresy towards them, you got to knock that off because you stepped out of love to use that phraseology. Whatever doctrinal influence you're getting, it's not coming from love. Let me say to you like this. If you don't act in love, if you're not motivated in love, then what you're doing is not directed by God. Period. You may find that, hey, I, I know it all and I can do this. Guess what? If you're not motivated by love, you're not directed by love, it didn't come from him. Glory to God. So... <laughs> Write this down in big letters. Cult. Most spirit-filled churches at one time or another has had somebody call them a cult. Usually by people who don't ascribe to the things of the Spirit. We're big boys and girls. I could care less. But I do care less about somebody ignorantly saying something like that not knowing they walked out of love and compromising their curtain rod and everything God wants to do in them. For example, I believe uncompromisingly in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I believe that tongues is the initial evidence, physical evidence to speak of, of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe that all the gifts are real. I believe the presence of God is real. I believe everything that God did in the New Testament, He's still doing today. Amen. And even greater than that. There are other people that say that Whatever happened that day was the birth of the church. It is not for us today. And they don't believe in speaking in tongues. And Max Lucado used to believe that very thing. Until one day he started praying, God, I want everything you have for me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not been bashful about this. Online interviews, he's writing a book right now about the things of the Spirit. Everybody, I'm going to pray for him because God's going to use him mightily in the denominational world to help people understand this. But he prayed... <laughs> God, I want everything you have for me. I, I tell you what I'd love to do. I'd have to love, I'd love to have Max Lucado come here and talk to you about how you made that transition. How I many of y'all agree with me in prayer that God can do anything? Can you do that? My pastor laughed at me in Georgia when I said I was inviting John Ashcroft to come. He came. 
Why? To tell about this journey from a denominational mindset into the things of the Spirit. <laughs> and he just said, Lord, I, I want everything you have for me. I want everything you have for me. Come on, say it with me. I want everything, I want everything. you have for me. And uh, one time in his, in his prayer time, wow. praying that, he just burst in tongues. Mm. And he says publicly now that he is a tongue talker and believes in all the gifts mm. of the Spirit. Is that different from what he used to believe? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. But let's say somebody doesn't believe that today. That does not make that person a heretic. Are you here today? And it doesn't make the tongue talker a heretic. That is, that is pejorative language, and it's unchristian to do that. And it certainly isn't love. I don't care what denomination, there are some differences we have on issues of, of communion, on issues of, of you know, how these things take place in terms of the graces of God. There are differences between us and the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church, and there are differences of us between other evangelicals. But what we believe in common is far more than the insignificant things we disagree on. And people will come out of love. I mean, they'll come straight out of love on this issue and not even realize what they're doing. I mean, they will turn their back on people. They will cut them off. Amen. They'll close their hearts to them over what? You'll know them by their doctrine or you'll know them by their what? Love. By their love. So let me define this for you. A cult is where you have a charismatic personality. It's very, very attractive in terms of gathering people to themselves. And what they will immediately do is immediately get you to follow them, not a mission, not the Lord, not scriptural principles, but them. And it's always marked by these three things. One is they will, they will take away uh, the sense of freedom that you have, put you in bondage and put you under severe control religiously. And not just the loss of freedom, but the loss of family. They will cut you off from relationships on purpose. Um, there are cults out there, and that's what they do. They'll take all your money, They'll cut you off from family on purpose and work towards it. And the third thing they'll do is they'll take, they'll take your family, they'll take your finances, and guess what else? They'll take your freedom. Say it with me. Family, freedom, and finances. Um, now, I say this with all respect, but uh, I have alienated more people than I've attracted through the years. So I don't qualify. And no one has ever showed up at your door demanding money from you. And no one has ever, in the circles that we run in, ever in a million years would try to cut you off of your family. In fact, we tell you to reach your family, love your family, reach out to your co-workers. Amen? And they say, what about freedom? Are you kidding me? Pastor a church is like herding cats. You can't do that. <laughs> Taking freedom away from people and liberty. So we don't qualify. And 99% of the churches I know in this region and around the country don't qualify, but yet people have a difference of doctrine and opinion and label somebody a cult that's unchristian, it's pejorative, and it needs to stop. And God's not pleased with it, and the Spirit of God will not hover around that environment. Amen? But yet today, everybody's a theological expert and a theological judge. Well, that's not, God, there is no gift of judging in the body of Christ. It's not there. Amen. Write this word down. 
orthodoxy. Going back to the early church, whether it's in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, there are things that all Christians absolutely must believe and agree upon. They absolutely must. For example, the sinless, spotless life of Jesus and his virgin birth. That's not negotiable. Because if he, he, he derived fully from man without being supernaturally what planted here, if he's not, what, at least half God, half man, you see this fully God, fully man, right? That's the best terminology for that. Then we are still in our sin. If he was a man who sinned like some have portrayed him in Hollywood, then we're still in our sin because he doesn't qualify. You see this? The Holy Trinity is not negotiable. God has revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Say orthodoxy. This is what we call right believing in certain Christians, you know, throughout the, 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 you know, the history of the world have all believed these specific, you know, principles. The resurrection of the dead, not negotiable. There's only one that got up from the dead. The substitutionary death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me, these things are what? They're not negotiable. They're orthodoxy. But whether you believe that God will prosper you if you honor him, that is not orthodoxy, and it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. Let me explain this to you. You and I do not have to agree on the Holy Ghost, on healing, on deliverance, on prosperity, on provision, on the miraculous power of God. We don't have to, to love one another, because we still what? We still have the foundation. And that's all that matters. Are you here today? Say it with me. We have the foundation. Now here's the deal. If somebody doesn't want to believe, if they just want to believe what it takes to get to heaven, the new birth, praise the Lord, they made it. Amen. They're going to heaven. If they don't want to believe anything else on that golden curtain rod, that is their right. It is not their right to call me a heretic because I do. You're not a heretic because you don't, and you're not a heretic because you do. A heretic should be really, you know, basically reserved for those that violate orthodoxy. Jesus was not born of a virgin. That's heresy. Jesus did not rise from the dead. That's heresy. There are multiple ways to heaven. That's heresy. Getting baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues, that doesn't make you a heretic. Refusing the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make you what? A heretic. Now, we, we could say it makes you disobedient because Jesus told the early church to wait in Jerusalem until they're being due with power from on high. He said, be filled with the Spirit of God. Paul said over and over again, continually be filled. So we know it is his best for us. But understand the difference tonight. Which is more important? That everybody believe like you do on the baptism or that both of you walk in love? Which is the greatest? That's what should define your life more than anything else as a Christian. And if anything is defining you more than that, we just got some work to do, don't we? Now, how many believe that faith comes by hearing? Yes. How many believe if you preach something, you get something? Yes. So we can expect to what? To grow in love for God and for other people. It's become epidemic throughout the body of Christ. This particular, this particular mindset. So um, you do not, and most of you never have, been a part of a cult. 
You are not, and you haven't been, a heretic. <laughs> Amen. But if someone deviates from some doctrine that is not original orthodoxy, right, what do you do with that person? You still love them. You can share your faith and you can talk about that stuff, but stay out of that realm that's going to take you into a place where you knock that old rod down and compromise all the things you said you believed. Amen? For the right to step out of love. Turn to somebody and say, you have no right to step out of love. Say it again. You have no right to step out of love. Say it with me. It's the great obedience. It's the greatest command. Not the greatest option or the greatest suggestion. Amen. Calling names because you don't agree with what someone is believing God for is unchristian and it's wrong. Plain and simple. You don't have to believe God for anything else but your new birth if you don't want to. But as for me in my house, amen? How am you going to believe God for everything he said you could have? Don't let people talk you out of it. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As it pertains to you, as much as lies with you, what? Live at peace with? With everyone. Amen? That's not an option. That's a command. Uh, little personal, interpersonal issues or conflicts just aren't worth the consequences. Amen. The enemy is focused on getting us into a place of disobedience and his greatest effort is in the area of getting us out of love. Galatians 4, 6 tells us that faith works by what? Your faith won't work out of love. All these wonderful things you're believing God for won't work if you're out of, if you're out of love. Faith won't work in an unforgiving heart. Come on, shout it out with me. Faith, Faith won't, work won't work in an unforgiving heart. Unforgiving Say it again. Faith, Faith won't, work won't work in an unforgiving heart. Does the devil want your faith to be shut down? Yes. How's he going to do it? He's going to get you out of love. That's why John Bevere wrote the book, Bait of what? Bait. What's the bait? Take the offense. Take the strife. Come out of love. It just looks like, watch this, maybe you're satisfied with this, but it looks like all that you're losing is a relationship. That's what the devil wants you to believe. Amen? Barb has a, has a war going on with sister here. And they don't. They're sitting here in the Holy Ghost section. Amen? <laughs> this is extra special and extra anointed here, right here. So if you ever want to sit here, you can. But they don't. But the devil would say if they do, all they've lost is a relationship. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's just the beginning of what you've lost. The list of things you have lost because by that you've lost all these other things on the rod. It's far more than just a relationship. The relationship should be valued, right? But there's far more loss than just the relationship. Now, if you and I really believe this, we're going to do everything we can to live at peace with everyone. As much as lies with us, we are not going to be the ones taking offense, staying in strife, 
getting put out. We're going to elevate love to where it needs to go in terms of the, the, you know, the hierarchy of how important things are in the kingdom of God. Down here, doctrine and petty offenses. Way up here should be the love of God and love for people. Can I have a good amen tonight? Can I have a better amen than that? Because if you don't, I'm going back to my first note. <laughs> Start all over again. Praise the Lord. Somebody make a run to Starbucks or Fidalgo and we'll just start all over again tonight. Just tell them to hang out until we're done. We'll just tell them, uh, we're, Lord's working on something. Yes. <laughs> but is it important? Yes. If not motivated and executed in love, God didn't direct it or order it. Stop and ask, am I moving in love? Is my first response love? That's how you can tell you're walking in love by the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit as a whole. But just if it was not motivated by love, it wasn't God. So all this, I'm just going to give a piece of my mind stuff. It's not coming from God. No. Our attitude, our belligerence, our spouting off, our, our ungodly and unkind responses to people, that's not motivated by love. They didn't come from God. And we're supposed to be what? The Christians. We'll be known by our by our love. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is what you could call the expression of love. There's a spiritual domino effect when you come out of love involving all the other fruit manifesting in your life. Now, it's true. It's not the, the fruits of the Spirit that you could possibly maybe have a couple over here and a couple over there you don't have. They tend to go in one direction. They tend to go as a group in a positive direction or in a, in a neutral, negative direction. But I want you to see this today. The, the greatest of these is what? It's love, and it's a spiritual force from which all the others flow. If there is no love, there won't be any other fruit of the Spirit. Amen. For example... If the force of love, uh, it's the force of love, rather, that makes us joyful. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And the joy of the Lord is? Strength. What? Strength. Our strength. Joy is what we describe as, as calm delight based on a relationship with God. Brother <laughs> Copeland said it like this. If you come out of love, somebody will steal your joy by lunchtime. <laughs> and that's absolutely the case you come out of love well the first things you'll see gone is what? your joy and that's your strength it's the force of love that makes us joyful it's the force of love that makes us peaceful undisturbed and unmoved internally even in the midst of difficult circumstances but you get rid of the love you're not going to walk around in peace it's not going to happen. It's the love of God that makes us patient. Makes us long-suffering. <laughs> you can forget about receiving the promises through faith and patience. If you're not walking in love, guess what? You're not going to walk in patience. Not going to happen. Amen. How many of you ever been impatient with somebody? Why were you impatient with them? You got out of Love. Now let's just all say a collective ouch. ouch. Amen. Say it with me, love. love. Makes me patient. Makes me it's the force of love that makes us kind. Yes. 
gracious in our interactions with people. Total strangers, people we don't know, people that are in our family, uh, people we go to church with, that we work with. If we're going to be kind and gracious in our interactions, it's going to be because the love of God is being practiced in our hearts and manifested in our lives through things like kindness. Say it with me, the force of love makes us kind. So if, if you treat somebody in a total stranger with less than kindness, what does that say about you? It's a love issue. Amen. It's deeper than just I was unkind. The love of God needs to be shed abroad in your hearts. It's the force of love that makes us good. Why does somebody do practical goodness, benevolence, like giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure? It's because of love. When you love, you want to serve. When you walk in love, you want to give. Can I tell you what the biggest hindrance to somebody who doesn't want to give to God, either financially or time or talent? It's a love issue. When you love God, you want to give him everything. And you're tight-fisted, you, know, you won't tithe and you won't give. You know what that is? It's a lot of things. It's a disobedience issue. It's a, it's a dishonor issue. But mostly, mostly it's a lack of love for God. I love God. If you love God, you keep his commandments. Take with me, if I love God, I'll keep his commandments. So the goodness that comes you know, from the heart of God in us and through us is a manifestation of love. And we, we want to do that because if we are actually walking in love, we're going to practice his goodness. Amen? And uh, we're not going to withhold our time, our talent, our treasure. You know, some people intentionally go to huge churches because they want to hide. You, wanna, you don't want anybody to know that you used to run a children's ministry. You, in your mind, you paid your dues with all those kids. You used to be in charge of the nursery, and you want to hide because you're retired now. You know what? You uh, wiped a few noses and a few butts, and you're done. That's not a I'm tired of service issue. That's a love issue. Loving God and loving people. And let me help you out here. If you're, if you're looking forward to retirement, you bought into an American lie. That is not a Christian concept. That is a secular concept. In the body of Christ, you never retire. Until you what? Until you die. Now, Jim and Jackie got that memo because I used to tell them all the time, you're the busiest retired person I know. And still going, still doing missions, still teaching, still what? Why? Because the love of God. That's, it. That's why you do it. Yeah. Amen. I've paid my dues. Paid my dues. That is not a statement of love. No. Did my time? What? It was a prison sentence to work in the church. <laughs> That's a statement of love. <laughs> Did my time? Check that off. Bless God. Now I can get on with my life. He's supposed to be your life. When he who is your life appears, one day you'll be just like him. Amen. Say to me, there's no retirement in the body of Christ. You may come and go with a job or responsibility, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, you should still be giving your time, your talent, and your treasure until your last breath or until you're raptured. And yes, I believe there's a rapture. And I'm going. 
You don't want to believe in God? Don't go. But you'd be amazed at the people who call us, amen, rapture people, heretics. I didn't come up with this. Paul's the one that said there'd be a catching away. Hello? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which remain? Sorry, you're out of luck. <laughs> no, we're caught up together. Say it with me, caught up. Together, praise the Lord. According to your faith, be done to you. But I'm not going to fight with you if you believe you're supposed to go through the tribulation. Have fun. You don't violate orthodoxy because you don't believe in a rapture or because you are post-trib or mid-trib. That's not a orthodox thing. But you'd be amazed. People say, we're the first church of the pre-trib. We're, we're the second church of the post-trib. Give me a break. <laughs> Grow up in love. Amen? You could be sitting next to somebody today that's mid-trib, post-trib. May completely different from you on some other issue. I'm telling you that, that nobody's going to agree 100% on everything. We've just had too many diverse experiences and sat under too many different ministries. Grew up with too many different doctrinal influences. And they're not all going to come out at one time. No. <laughs> so what's the choice? Love. Love, Love covers over a multitude of sins, including doctrinal sins and errors. Hmm. No, that's a special category. If I disagree with you, doctor, then I can write you off and cut you off. How about you start walking in love? Try that one off or something. All you did was tell us where you are in your love walk when you elevated doctrine above the Lord, the love of God. It's the force of love that makes us faithful. Yes. You can't be faithful if you're not walking in love with God and man. When you're faithful, it's because you're manifesting the love of God, wholehearted devotion and steadfast before the Lord. It's the force of love that makes us gentle, easy treatment of people. The apostles said, let your gentleness be evident to all. How many? To all. to all. No matter how you're treated, what's your response? Gentleness. Why? Because you can't do anything about their love walk, but you can do everything about your love walk. The Bible tells us that a gentle answer will do what? Turn away wrath. Turn away wrath. Well, what happens if you're responding in kind? It just escalates. Yeah. Well, I, I got to walk in love, but they can escalate. That's none of your business. Your job is to de-escalate with gentleness, which is a manifestation, of course, of the love of God. If you are walking, uh, if you're, it's the force of love, brother, that makes us self-control. You're not controlled by your mind, your will, and your emotions. You're not controlled by your will. It's submitted to God. You're not controlled by your flesh. Why? Because the love of God is manifested in your life. When the love of God is there, when you have a love for God and people, you're self-controlled. Amen. A, a person walking with a, a, a right relationship with God, they love God and love people, they are not going to step out of their marriage, for example, because why? They love God, but what else? They love people and some specific people. Person. Amen. What is that? It's a manifestation of a breakdown of love. 
We have all these different words for it now, but the bottom line is that when you and I are walking in love, there's going to be self-control. Love will say to your mind, knock it off. Love will say to, amen, to your feet and your tendency to be ruled by your feelings, knock it off. Love will say to your flesh, no, no, you're not going to do this because I love God and I love people. Amen? Praise God. So, if you're not walking in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control, it's because you're not walking in, in love. Amen. Say it with me. I believe, I believe. Love, love is the greatest command. The greatest command. It, is it is supreme above all other expectations. All other expectations. Nothing, Nothing is higher than loving God and loving people, including my doctrine, my attitude, my wants, my desires, my thoughts. Nothing is higher than love. Now, we can teach this, but it has to be a revelation to us. Amen? Uh, when it ends up, ends up happening is we're not going to talk as much. Because our love will dictate what comes out of our mouth. Amen? We're not going to get mad as much. Because our responses are going to be dictated by, by love. We're not going to be unforgiving and hold bitterness. Why? Because love is operating in our lives. Amen? If I say faith, faith hope, hope, and love. love. said I'm a faith person. I'm a hope person. But God, help me to be a love person in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap and thank him for that.